All right, well, the theme of our uh, preaching ministry for the year, this year, which uh, runs through the end of June, uh, has been learning the way of Jesus. And today we get to continue a sermon series that we've been doing for several weeks on the life of the Apostle Paul. And we're using Paul's story as a case study for learning the way of Jesus. And the reason is because Paul was born Saul of Tarsus. And he was a brilliant young man who was a violent persecutor of Christians. But then, as we saw, when he was about 25 years old or so, Paul met Jesus and he became a Christian, which set his path, uh, set his life down a completely different path. It changed everything in his life. And so, as time went by, by his early 40s or so, Paul had served for a time as a leader in the vibrant and growing church in Antioch before being sent out as a missionary with his coworker Barnabas and their young helper, John Mark. And we saw that last week. They had a successful trip to the island of Cyprus, uh, with one exception that John Mark bailed and went back home from Cyprus. Uh, but Paul and Barnabas continued into what's now modern-day Turkey before coming back to their home base of Antioch. So we saw uh, most of this first missionary journey uh, last week when we looked at Acts chapter 13 in the Bible. But just a reminder, if you missed any of the sermons or all, every sermon maybe of this series, if you'd like to go back and watch any of those, you can do so on the Church Center app or through our YouTube channel. Well, okay, today we're picking up the story of Paul's second missionary journey, but for the next few weeks, and for the next few weeks, we'll consider his work in several notable cities of their day, including Philippi, which is today, Athens, which is next week, and then in two weeks on his third, third missionary journey to the city of Ephesus. So today in Philippi, we will see Paul and his team have, in some ways, remarkable success but they also cause a disruption uh, enough to become beaten by a mob and thrown into prison. So it's a mixed bag of what happens in Philippi, I think. Now, in some ways, this is just normal life for the Apostle Paul. As we continue to follow his missionary work, uh, this is not that strange. He sees great fruit for the gospel and he receives incredible opposition sometimes very dark and spiritual in nature. But through it all, we see, um, to some degree, a remarkable poise. We see that Paul has this unusual ability to have joy and literally keep singing, even as life seems to be crumbling around him. Now, this joy that we see today regardless of his external circumstances, is exactly the theme of his letter back to the Philippians that he would write later when he was in prison once again. But today, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I just invite you to take it and open it to Acts chapter 16, and we're starting with verse 11. Acts 16, starting with verse 11. We'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. But today we'll start with a little intro passage for context for us. And then we'll encounter three people in Philippi who are saved by God. First, a powerful and wealthy woman named Lydia. Second, a slave girl. And third, a Roman jailer. So first, we'll start with a little intro for context. Verse 11. 
From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. Okay, if you're like me, all of these places went whizzing over your head. So, but just a, a couple reminders. Again, this is the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, but one detail that we haven't mentioned yet. Oh, let's, uh, we'll get to the map in a second, Connie. Thank you. If you could go back or forward. Forward would be fine. Um, thank you. Um, okay, so uh, one detail we haven't mentioned yet is that when leaving for this journey, Paul and Barnabas have a serious problem. Now, at the, at the end of Acts chapter 15, Luke writes, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Now, remember, Barnabas had vouched for Paul when no one wanted Paul to be a part of the Christian church. Barnabas brought Paul in and encouraged him. His name, his nickname, Barnabas, literally means son of encouragement. And then, when there was this unbelievable revival happening at the, in the city of Antioch, Barnabas was sent to investigate and he brought in, he remembered Paul and brought him to Antioch to minister together there. And then after time, the church at Antioch sent them out by the, the direction of the Holy Spirit and they sent out Paul and Barnabas as co-workers. These were brothers. This was a team. These men knew each other well and had worked with each other for a long time. But here, they had such a sharp disagreement, they separated. So Barnabas took Mark, John Mark, his cousin, and sailed for Cyprus again, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Now I just have to say, relationships are hard for everybody among coworkers, among apostles, among us. This is probably a, a sermon all on its own. But we, we don't have time for that sermon today, so we're gonna forge ahead. I, we, now, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if it was Paul's fiery personality, his temper, that couldn't handle John Mark bailing on them on their first journey and he didn't trust him to join them on the second? Or maybe Paul was being wise while Barnabas was being foolish and overly accommodating for his younger cousin, or maybe something else happened, we don't know. But sadly, they went their separate ways. Now, it's important to remember that as time goes by, reconciliation is possible. And so we know that Paul and John Mark eventually reconciled and were very close by the end of Paul's life. In fact, in his final words, which we'll look at at the end of June, Paul says, would you go get Mark? He's very helpful to me. But here, on his second journey, Paul traveled with a man named Silas. Okay, Connie, if we could have the map. Let's look at all these places. So they start in Antioch, thank you, and they travel up, this is Paul and Silas, they travel up to Derby and then over to Lystra, um, or Lystra, and this is through the modern country of Turkey, okay? Now, they're, 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 they're backpacking, right? This, there's no uh, highway system. They can't take a plane. So they're uh, marching through Turkey. And so eventually they get up to Troas, and that is where uh, they pick up Luke, actually. And, um, oh, before that, 
actually they, when they travel through Derby and Lystra, they actually pick up Timothy, a young helper in Lystra, and then eventually Luke, the writer of the book of Acts in Troas, before they island hop from Samothrace over to Neapolis and eventually to Philippi. Neapolis is the port of, of the city, bigger city of Philippi. Okay, are we on board with this? We know where in the world we're traveling? Thank you. Okay, so uh, when, uh, we can go to the next slide, Connie, thank you. So when, when in this time, uh, we know that the, Luke, the author, joined them in Troas because at this point he starts writing, we put out to sea, we traveled, we stayed, and so forth. So the we passages of, of Luke, or excuse me, of Acts, uh, help us understand where Luke joined Paul's missionary team. Okay, so they end up at Philippi. Now, Philippi was located on a major highway in the Roman Empire, and which meant that it was vital for trade, and it was likely uh, fairly wealthy. And there's evidence of that historically as well. Luke says that it was a Roman colony and a leading city of Macedonia. Um, so this is a big city, and it's important. It's, a, it's an influential city. This was a strategic place, if you're thinking as a missionary, for the gospel. Because if you help people understand who Jesus is and how to follow him in Philippi, that message will radiate out from there. Now as such, uh, or excuse me, historically we also know that a number of the citizens of Philippi were veterans of the Roman military. And as such, there would, be, uh, there would have been a strong connection and allegiance to Rome and to the emperor in the city of Philippi. It would have been part of their culture. Now this is also, even though it was a strategic place, that fact means it was potentially a dangerous place for Paul to preach that Jesus was the true king over Caesar, deserving of our ultimate allegiance. So, okay, the stage is set. Let's meet the first European convert to Christianity, shall we? Look at verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman, the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay, let's pause here. So there doesn't appear to be enough Jewish people in Philippi at this time to support a synagogue, but there are people who are meeting on the Sabbath to pray. Now these aren't necessarily all Jewish people as the term worshiper of God or God-fearer, as in some of the Bible translations, uh, would reference people who are not necessarily Jewish ethnically, but who honor the one true God, the God of Israel, um, over all the pantheon of, of gods who were available to them at that time. So these are people, in other words, who would have been possibly more open to hear this message about Jesus, Israel's Messiah. Now, one of these women, one of these worshipers of God, was an, a woman named Lydia. And we're told that she's a dealer in purple cloth, or literally a dealer in purple, which I think that's cooler than purple cloth. But at any rate, in their day, this was a highly sought-after commodity. 
because purple clothing was expensive to make. The dyes to make purple clothing, uh, that was an extensive process. And so if you wore purple, you were extremely wealthy. You were someone of status. You were likely someone of power. You were the elite. So here, Lydia is like this fashion magnate to the elite. She was likely very wealthy and influential as a business owner, and she's referenced as a head of household, which was unusual for their culture. Now, perhaps she was divorced or widowed, but at any rate, this meant, as a head of household, she had more autonomy than the vast majority of women in her day. But it was this woman who heard Paul's message about Jesus who had died for sins and rose alive as the king of heaven and earth, who is the fulfillment of everything that Israel's God had promised to do in the world in bringing forth his kingdom. And Luke says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And I think this is such a picture of both grace and faith. The Lord opened Lydia's heart by his grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, And she responded by believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus by faith. To me, this is what a relationship with God is all about. And this is what it looks like. God does his part, and we do our part. Now, following Lydia, her whole household believed and were baptized as well. And immediately, this wealthy woman of high status, of high privilege, starts serving. Someone who would be used to being served starts serving. She opens her home for Paul's team, insisting that they stay with her. And then later we know she opened her home to, as the meeting place for the whole church in the city of Philippi. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that, the, that generosity and hospitality are often signs that someone truly understands the generosity and hospitality of God in the saving work of Christ. We're told we love because he first loved us, but we give because he first gave to us. We welcome people into our lives and into our homes because he first welcomed us. Okay, it's probably another sermon for another day as well, so we're off to a good start in Europe, okay? We, Paul lands in Europe, and people start coming to faith, and a church is born. Let's continue and meet the second person, a woman of very different status. Verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. What? She kept this up for many days. Just put yourself in this position. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. What a scene. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. Oh, no. 
and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful, unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Cyrus, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's pause here. Okay, now this is such a funny and weird story to me in this whole, I would, who would make this up? Okay, that's my question when I read the Bible a lot. But Paul had already encountered forces of spiritual darkness during his first journey on the island of, of Cyprus. And here, there's a young slave girl who has a spirit by which, which she predicted the future. But, but literally, Luke writes that she has a python spirit. In David Peterson's commentary on the book of Acts, he explains that Python, quote, Python was originally the name of the snake or dragon that inhabited Delphi, originally Pythia, and in Greek mythology was killed by Apollo. So this snake became a symbol or representative of the underworld. Apollo was thought to be embodied in the snake and to inspire Pythonesses as his female mouthpieces. Plutarch called such soothsayers ventriloquists because they uttered words beyond their control, end quote. This is dark stuff. The owners of this slave girl had made a great deal of money because they sold her oracles, not for her benefit, but to use her for their gain. But then, while Paul's team was working in Philippi, this unnamed slave girl followed them for many days, shouting what was the truth about why they were there and who they were. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. This echoes a number of encounters that Jesus had with people who were influenced or possessed by evil spirits. The demons know who Jesus is. The demons know who Paul and Silas are as his representatives in Philippi. But then it says that Paul becomes so disturbed, or the NIV says annoyed by this, that he turns to her and commands the evil spirit to leave her in Jesus' name, and it does. I don't know if you believe in evil spirits or not, but the people closest to this slave girl believed that something had changed. She was set free from this spirit, but she was not yet set free from these human owners. And what a contrast to Lydia. Lydia has a name while this girl is unnamed. Lydia has a family. In fact, she's the head of a household and while this girl is a, is a slave. Lydia has this apparently profitable business while this girl was exploited by others for their profit. Lydia had options while this girl had none. 
And yet they both needed to be saved. Both needed to be set free from the spiritual forces that hold this world in bondage. Both needed to be set free from the power of sin and death. Both needed Jesus and both needed to experience the power of God, which they did in Jesus' name. Now, if Paul was truly annoyed, isn't it comforting to see God working through someone who is an imperfect vessel like us? I think he, I hope he was just disturbed, but if he was annoyed, I hope he felt bad about that later and repented of that and had compassion for this young, tormented slave girl. We should ask him one day. And I have so much more that I'd like to know about this girl. What was her name? What did she do after this? Did she follow Jesus after this encounter with the power of God in his name? Did did the church at Lydia's house welcome her in? We don't know because this incident, this victory over the forces of darkness in Philippi caused such a disruption that she seemed to be lost in the shuffle. Maybe Luke lost track of where she went after this. But when the owners realized that God's power had disrupted their business, they whipped up a mob and accused Paul and Silas as a Jew. I think we can feel some disdain for that. Was advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, this is ironic because in many other places, the Jews accused Paul of advocating customs that were unlawful or unacceptable for them in welcoming Gentiles into the church because of Jesus. But here in Philippi, the Gentiles were upset because they were experiencing a disruption to their economy off paganism with the true power of God. Paul can't seem to win. Well, as a result... Paul and Silas were unlawfully publicly stripped and beaten before being thrown into prison. But it doesn't end there. We meet the third person to respond to the power of God, the way of salvation, as this unnamed slave girl called it, the gospel. An unlikely convert, but certainly not the last person to come to faith in Jesus because Paul was in chains. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, just like we would have been doing, right? (laughs) Amazing grace. Okay, bleeding. Right. Now, the other prisoners were listening to them. No kidding. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the, all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is God's word. And what a crazy story, right? Okay, this is just one town on the stop of his missionary journeys. And it's, I think it's funny to think, to me, thinking back to when this church started, we started with a core group of just a couple dozen people. It's funny to me to think that these are the people who made the initial core group of the church plant in Philippi. A wealthy woman and her household, a bunch of people in the fashion industry, okay? A slave girl who used to be like a demonic oracle, uh, and a Roman jailer and his household. Probably not what I would be praying for in terms of a core team to start a church, but this is who God brought together. Praise God. But after this earthquake, the jailer was ready to kill himself. And, and I think it's two, two possibilities. Either to punish himself and his loss of, at his loss of honor for failing his duty, thinking all the prisoners had escaped, or he wanted to avoid the pain and suffering of being punished for his unintended failure. So one is a motive rooted in the honor-shame culture, and the other... Motive would be rooted in avoiding pain. I'm guessing if he was a Roman soldier, it probably was the first. Paul seemed to know what he was thinking, and he intervenes. He shouts, wait! And he reassures him that he hadn't failed his assignment. And when the jailer realized what had happened and that Paul and Silas hadn't run off, as no doubt anyone else would have in this situation, he asked the most important question anyone could ever ask. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, he probably asked this because of, one, Paul and Silas's singing hymns and praying all night. Boy, these guys are super religious, right? Two, they were there because this slave girl had told the whole region that they were there teaching the way of salvation. It's hard to miss that when someone shouts that over you day in and day out. But here he was almost at the end of his life and he reaches out and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul, think, just flogged, beaten publicly, bleeding, nothing is healed, filthy from being in stocks in prison, responded with a message that he had no doubt shared with many people at many times, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
you and your whole household. This message is not just for those with power and authority. It is a message for all. And once you know it, the jailer and his whole household in the middle of the night, what is this, one, two o'clock in the morning, uh, they, they get baptized. <laughs> and they're like, we should probably eat something, okay? This is, a, you know, I say that eating together is a really good and godly thing for our church to do. Always. This always happens. And so, um, similar to Lydia, the jailer immediately starts serving. He washes their wounds. He brings them into his home, out of the jail, into his home, and they share a meal together. Honey, honey, we got to have dinner. <laughs> what time is it? Okay, well, first of all, listen about this man named Jesus, and let's eat something. And Luke uh, shares this last deal, and this is so good, that Paul's joy, okay, the joy that never died, even when Paul and Silas were in prison, even when they were beaten and bloodied, it never went away. They now, it now was shared around the table. That joy was, was contagious in Jesus. This, again, unnamed Roman jailer was filled with joy because of his faith in the Most High God and his son, Jesus. The jailer had a new king who held his allegiance even above his allegiance to Caesar. And his new king didn't rule him by force or power. His, his new king didn't rule him by honor and shame, but by sacrificial love and grace and truth. This man of rank and authority needed Jesus just as much as the woman Lydia or the slave girl. And he experienced the saving power of God to set him free just as they did. What do we do with a story like this? How do we apply this to our lives today? I'd like to close by just making the case that we need this same saving power of God today. Every one of us, here's my one takeaway for you, everybody needs Jesus. You'd think that would be self-evident, but it's not. Whether we're people of wealth and status, people of power and privilege, people with a name, do you see? Or whether we're people with nothing, with no name, with no status, with no reputation, with no options. Everybody needs Jesus. Whether we're young, like this slave girl, or older, whether we're rich, like Lydia, or poor, whether we're liberal or conservative, whether we're the biggest rebel or the most religious person ever, Whoever we are and wherever we have come from and whatever has, we have done or has been done to us, everybody needs Jesus. The way of salvation is clear. Hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus was the one who died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose again from the dead and believe in him, trust in him and learn to follow his way in life and you will be saved. This good news is for you and your household, meaning everybody in your sphere of life, everybody that you know and that you cross paths with, paths with in life. It's for everybody. 
the person that you can think of that you think is the farthest person from God needs Jesus. And the holiest, saintliest person that you think basically didn't really need Jesus to die also needs Jesus. And all of us in between. And we are a church that is all about this good news. Which means we're a church where you are going to encounter some people who are different than you. We must be a church that unites all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds for the glory of God. And this is what we long to see here in this church and here in the city of Appleton and here in this region and all throughout the world. Men, women, and even kids experiencing the joy and the saving power of God who sets us free and welcomes us to his table because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, you do marvelous things. You are so good and you have done such marvelous work throughout human history, in the lives of peoples, but in the lives of specific people, Lord, like, like the lives of, well, the Apostle Paul, and Silas, and Timothy, and Luke, or like the people in Philippi, like Lydia, and her household, and this slave girl, and the Roman jailer in his household, and many, many, many people beyond. You are so faithful, and you are so good, and yet you still are not satisfied with what you have done. You continue to invite. You continue to call people into a relationship with you. You continue to save. You continue to set free. So Father, would you unite here in this church a people of all walks of life who are united, not because we are the same, but because we have the same need for your son Jesus. Unite us together, Lord, by the power of your spirit because nothing else will keep us together. And lead us, Father, in our understanding of how to love one another well here and now and how to invite others in here and now for your glory, for the good of all people, and yes, for our joy as well. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and not our circumstances. Lord, would you re renew our joy even now by your spirit and help us to respond in faith, in obedience, and with the kind of love that we've already received in Christ. It's in his name.